Hi, welcome to In Cahoots with Kelly and Savannah. I'm Kelly. And I'm Savannah. Are you interested in learning about conspiracy theories, but you're way too lazy to research them yourself? So are we, but we're very generous and we're here to do the work for you. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy listening to everything from JFK's assassination to Demi Lovato's twin sister who's trapped in a basement. Bonked my head, y'all. <laughs> Owie. So this is in case with Kelly and Savannah. <laughs> Savannah's the one that bumped her head. It was me, Savannah. I bonked. I done bonked it. Kelly's giving me a real mean <laughs> look right now because I'm acting stupid again. Why do you always start out those episodes with the country twang? I'm just acting stupid. Don't talk to me. I'm just I'm just still a girl from the country in a big city. Just a country bunk. Just a country bunkin in the big city, Kelly. Are, are you trying to impersonate who we will be talking about today? Because she is from Kansas. I don't think that was a Kansas accent, but I also don't but, know what a Kansas accent sounds it's, like. I mean, wouldn't it be southern? A southern accent? I guess Kansas isn't really that. It's southern. the Midwest. Yeah, you're right. I'm dumb. Are you, you're a dumb one in this situation, Kelly? It's not me, it's you. I don't know geography, obviously. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to school. The cows taught me. I really don't like this. <laughs> Sorry. Ow. Oh, I just stabbed oh myself. Oh, my God. Ow. Uh, I'm just so clumsy. Okay. All right. So, this is In Cahoots with Kelly and Savannah. I literally already said that. Okay, but they probably forgot because you've been just <laughs> complaining and... <laughs> Being weird for 10 minutes. Okay. All right. So, today? Today we are going to talk about a American mystery. An American hero, if you will. Yes. A but woman it's also of our generation. Of not generation. our generation. A woman of the generation. That we will talk about. And I would say this is one of the biggest um, mysteries in America. Like, everyone knows about it. Everyone, you know... Everyone, it, like, honestly keeps everyone up at night just wondering what happened. I feel like it's a rite of passage to to just, like, look her up and try to figure out what happened. and then A no rite of ever. passage? Yeah, it's like every American, like, just thinks about it and ponders it and tries to find out what happened and they go on their own expedition and then no one ever figures if it out. If you want to become an American citizen, part of it is have to investigate Yeah, the, exactly. This yeah, mystery. it's part of getting your green card. You just have to, um, Yeah. So, anyway, here's what it is. It's the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. If you've never wondered, you're not American. Yeah, it's very true. Um, We got our sources from Wikipedia, Amelia Earhart's official website, because she has an official website, history.com, and a Time article by Olivia Waxman. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to, I'm just going to dive right in. That's usually how it works. I just gotta hop. I'm just gotta hop right in there. <laughs> Is the water cold? You gonna touch it first? Here I go. Oh, it's like your toe in. And <laughs> then... <laughs> Dig my toe in. It's so cold. Hi. <laughs> Sometimes I just hate myself. You know. All right. Amelia Mary Earhart was born July twenty fourth, eighteen ninety seven in Atchison, Kansas. Eighteen ninety seven. Yeah, she old. She an old lady. So. Wherever she is, she's probably not alive anymore, sadly. <laughs> she's, like, 150 years old. Um, is that... Do you think I said that right? Atchison? Atchison, yeah. Okay. Doesn't matter. She was named 
I think to Amelia it matters. I She's think, looking down on us from I'm, I'm sure all of our listeners in Kansas will correct us. <laughs> yeah, all of our many listeners. Um, she was named after her two grandmothers, Amelia Josephine Harris and Mary Wells Patton, as was her family's custom. Um, she had a younger sister named Grace, but she ultimately went by her middle name Muriel from her teens onward, which really can't imagine why you would exchange Grace for Muriel. <laughs> oh god, Grace is such a good name. I know. Um, and her parents had given birth to a stillborn child the year before Amelia was born. So mm-hmm. technically she was the oldest of two, but also kind of three. Um, her nickname was Mealy, and Grace's nickname was Pidge, which they both answered too well into adulthood. Mealy? I don't know why. Ugh. Um, both girls were adventurous from a young age as their mother did not believe in raising their daughters to be a nice little girls. Um, they were tomboys, they played outside all the time, and they hunted rats with a rifle and collected bugs and toads, which they kept in their room. After seeing a roller coaster on a trip to St. Louis around the age of eight years old, Amelia Earhart constructed a ramp with the help of her uncle and attached it to her family's tool shed, and then she slid down in a wooden box and crashed and emerged with a bruised lip, torn dress, and a, quote, sensation of exhilaration. Her parents moved to Des Moines, Iowa for a short period while the girls remained with their grandparents in Atchison, and that's when Amelia discovered a great love of reading. The girls soon moved to Des Moines um, to be reunited with their parents, and at the age of 10, Amelia saw her first plane at the state fair. She was reportedly not impressed by it, calling it a thing of rusty wire and wood and looked not at all interesting. Um, her family continued to move around due to her father's alcoholism and inability to keep a steady job. Mm. And ultimately, her mother left um, her father, and she and her sister and mother ended up in Chicago, where she attended Hyde Park High School because it had the best science program. Um, but sadly, she had a lot of trouble making friends, and her yearbook caption for that the end of that semester read, A.E., The Girl Who Walks Alone. So that was like her senior quote? Yeah, I don't think it was a senior quote as much as, like, someone else gave that to her. Oh. Which is a little rough. That's sad. Poor Amelia. After graduating from Hyde Park High School in 1915, Earhart attended Augants, a girls finishing school in the suburbs of Philadelphia. What's a finishing school? Um, I think it's, um, similar to, it's, it's like when, uh, during a time when women weren't allowed to attend college. Most colleges. Oh, okay, so it's kind of like higher education. Higher education, but for girly things like... Sewing? Like, <laughs> and dancing and tea etiquette. time or whatever. Okay. Yeah, like etiquette type okay, thing, okay, I, okay. I believe. Um, so she left in the middle of her second year to work as a nurse's aide at Spadina Military Hospital in Toronto, Canada during World War I. Um, and she ultimately became a patient herself there after she compra- contracted pneumonia and maxillary sinitis, um, which was like a sinus thing. I think it was more of like a sinus infection, but back then they didn't, <laughs> you could just take an antibiotic. Um, so she went, uh, under, she underwent a bunch of minor procedures to fix the issue and she had to stay with her sister in Northampton, Massachusetts for like a year to recover where she studied mechanics and learned to play the banjo. Um, and th- that sinus illness significantly affected her flying and activities later in life. And sometimes she even had, um, on the airfield, she was even forced to wear a bandage on her cheek to cover a small drainage tube to drain her sinuses, which is nasty. Um, I wonder if that would affect, like, her depth perception, maybe? Depth perception? Nope. Try one more time. Depth. Death. (laughs) Depth. Johnny Depp? Her Johnny Depp perception? 
perception. No! <laughs> <laughs> How do you say it? I'm not going to say it. Depth perception. De- that's what I said. You said death perception. Then I said depth. 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 <laughs> give a lisp. <laughs> okay, I wonder if that would affect that, though, with the sinuses, maybe? Like, no, I off balance? I have no idea. I know um, when you, like, don't hear well out of one ear, that can affect it. Really? Yeah, because it's like you can't, you don't hear everything. I have no idea how the body works, so I believe you. <laughs> okay. Dr. Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Around, uh, so after her recovery, she attended an airfare in Toronto where she and her friend watched a flying exhibition put on by a World War One pilot. Um, and they were standing in like an isolated clearing and the pilot spotted them um, from his plane up in the air and like took a dive at them. I guess to like try to scare them probably. And Amelia said, I am sure he said to himself, watch me make them scamper. I did not understand it at the time, but I believe that little red airplane said something to me as it swished by. So by 1919, Amelia prepared to enter Smith College, but changed her mind and enrolled at Columbia University in a course in medical studies, among other programs. She quit a year later to be with her parents who had reunited in California. Oh, so they got back together. They don't go back together. Nuh-uh. Why not? I don't know. I mean, as it's long, a happy family reunion. I guess, as long as he's over his alcoholism. Aren't you happy for them? Such a cynicist. <laughs> um, if it didn't work out once, I feel like it's not going to work out again. Maybe. That's my opinion. I think, I actually have no idea if they stay today, together or not, so it's a mystery. Just like her disappearance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, same, the same caliper. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, in 1920, she visited an airfield with her father in Long Beach, where Frank Hawks, who would go on to become a famous air racer, gave her a ride on his plane, and that gave her her first taste for flying. And she said, by the time I got two or three hundred feet off the ground, I knew I had to fly. So, on January 3rd, 1921, which was just a few days later, honestly, um, Amelia had her first flying lesson with pilot Netta Snook. She worked, a ver- she worked a variety of jobs, like a truck driver, photographer, sn- stenographer, to save money for those lessons, and six months later, she was able to purchase her first airplane, a yellow Kenner Airster biplane by the name of Canary. So after six months of odd jobs, she could purchase an airplane? It was a different time. Kelly. Oh my gosh! <laughs> People bought a house for like $500. And it was so no big true, deal. but still. Um... Almost a year later, she passed her flying license test, and two days after that, she flew in the Pacific Coast Ladies Derby in Pasadena. Wow. So, she, like, it was really a quick thing. Like, she just saw a plane, yeah. and was like, that's that's my passion now, and just went for that's it. That's crazy. Yeah, I literally can't, like, maintain one hobby for more than, <laughs> like, one week if I'm not good at it. Yeah. Okay, so, in um, 1921, she married her, her book publisher. She published a book? Yep. Awesome. Um, he proposed to her six times before she agreed to marry him. Wow. In a letter, his name was George Putnam, and in a letter written to Putnam and hand-delivered to him on the day of the wedding, she wrote, I quote, I want you to understand I shall not hold you to any medieval code of faithfulness to me, nor shall I consider myself bound to you similarly. <laughs> she continued and said, I may have to keep some place where I can go by myself now and then, for I cannot guarantee to endure at all times a confinement or <laughs> of even an attractive cage. So she was like a badass feminist, clearly. Yeah, she was like monogamy, not for me. Yeah. No, I mean, she, she was obviously monogamous, but... Well, I mean, she said, I don't hold you to faithfulness, and I don't consider myself bonded. No, she said, I don't hold you to an idea of medieval faithfulness, like, I'm your servant, and you're my master, I think. Oh, 
I read that as we can go like, like more like beg other open, people. Like it's more like an open marriage. No, I don't think so. I think she just meant like it's it, we have a modern marriage, not okay. like an outdated. Okay, one. that's fine. Whatever. It's like up to interpretation, I, mean, I guess. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> whatever Amelia wanted. You know what? Yeah, she, she was a strong, independent woman. Sure was. Anyway, okay. So her first, she broke a bunch of records in the flying community, and her first record was broke in 1922 when she became the first woman to fly solo above 14,000 feet. Nice. Which is how many meters, Savannah? Why the heck would you think <laughs> I would know that? It's actually three meters. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Wow. Okay, in 1932, Earhart became the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic and also only the second person ever to fly solo across the Atlantic behind Charles Lindbergh, which he would be a good person to cover. Yeah, because like his, his baby. baby. his baby would be a Well, there's no conspiracy because... Did they find out what happened? Yeah, they found the baby. Um, I think, um, maybe they didn't find out what happened, but... They found the baby. They found the baby. Okay. It was very sad. Yes. Anyway. Um, Okay. So, in this um, solo flight across the Atlantic Ocean, she left on May 20th in Newfoundland, Canada. She flew a red Lockheed Vega 5B, which means nothing to me. And she arrived a day later, um, landing in Londonderry, Northern Ireland, in a cow field. I bet those cows were scared. Do you think that the dairy girls were there? Yeah, probably. You guys... Dairy Girls is one of the greatest shows on Netflix, and it takes place in Londonderry, and you have to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so when she returned to the U.S. after this flight, Congress awarded her um, the Distinguished Flying Cross, which was given for, quote, heroism or extraordinary achievement while participating in an aerial flight. And she was the first woman to receive this honor. So she really was breaking barriers for oh, women. big time. Amazing. Also in 1932, um, Earhart made the first solo non-stop flight across the United States by a woman. So she started in LA and landed 19 hours in New Jersey. Can you imagine? That flight now is like, what, six hours? That is so true. That's yeah. nothing. Yeah. That's so funny that it took 19 hours. Yeah, I think a non-stop from LA to New York is like four or five hours. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I would say max That six. took 19 hours. That's, That's like a flight to like Japan these yeah. days. Yeah. Oh, that is actually a flight to Japan. Yeah. Okay. Crazy. Crazy stuff. <laughs> In 1935, she became the first person to fly solo from Hawaii to the U.S. mainland. Okay, and then in 1929, so jumping back a little, she helped form the 99s, which is an international organization for the advancement of female pilots. And she became the first president of this organization, and this organization still exists today, and it represents um, women from over 44 countries. That's awesome. I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah, me neither. Which is so true. Like, pilot, being a pilot is such a man's world, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I can't even, like, think of the last time or ever when I flew on a flight and it was a female pilot. I don't really pay attention to the pilot, so I don't know. (laughs) And I have a lot of friends whose dads are pilots, but it's just You have a lot. How many friends do you have whose dads are pilots? Okay, I have... One. No, 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 no. Two. Three. But one is still my friend and the other two are not anymore. (laughs) So I know... Three people. Okay, okay. Okay. So, okay, now we're going to talk about her disappearance. So, on June 1st, 1937, Amelia Earhart took 
off from Oakland, California on an eastbound flight around the world. So this was her second attempt to become the first pilot ever to circumnavigate the globe. So she flew a twin-engine Lockheed 10E Electra, which also means nothing to me. (laughs) Me too. She, on this flight with her, she also had a navigator, and his name was Fred Noonan. So the two of them went together. So they started in Oakland, California. They flew to Miami, then down to South South America. Then they crossed the Atlantic to Africa, and then they went east to India and Southeast Asia. So the pair reached Ley. Is that how you say that? Ah, uh, that's my guess. Ley, New Guinea, on June 29th. So they started June 1st. It's June 29th. They reached Ley, New Guinea. So when they reached Ley, they had already flown 22,000 miles, and they only had 7,000 more miles to go before they reached Oakland. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Oof. That's yeah. nothing. So they had already they, done so much. They were pretty much done with this trip. They yeah. had a very short amount left. Okay. So I'm going to go into what is the known, what is known about their disappearance and what is believed to be the truth. So Earhart and Noonan departed from Lane, New Guinea for a tiny island called Howland Island. And that was their next refueling stop. So, and that was on July 2nd. And that was the last time that Earhart was seen alive. And Noonan. And Noonan, yes. So they lost radio contact with the U.S. Coast Guard. And after they realized that they were lost, Franklin D. Roosevelt authorized a massive two-week search to find them, but they never found them. And on July 19th, so what, like mm, seven, 17 days after yeah. um, two was last seen alive, Earhart and Noonan were declared lost at sea. So this was a two-week search, and by the last week, it was costing $255,000 a day to have this search going and that equates to 4.5 million dollars a day that's wild and this search scanned over a hundred thousand square miles looking for them so since then obviously there's been a lot of people trying many searches to find them with no success so right after the um search by the president ended her husband george p putnam financed a private search of a nearby island, including Gilbert's and Christmas Island, but again, there was no trace of them. I think those islands were near. Because mm-hmm. that area of South America, sort of South Asia, is just a bunch of islands, like yeah. Papua New Guinea and all that. It's and just, a lot of them are really tiny. Yeah. Okay, so then a little more recent is in 1999, a venture capitalist named Dana Timmer partnered with Williamson & Associates, which is a deep water um, technology firm, and they searched the seabed north and west of the Howland Island, which is where she was going, via sonar arrays. So this search lasted for six weeks, and they discovered a couple of interesting sonar readings, but nothing was found that was very significant. So in this article, it says that um, TIGAR? TIGAR? It stands for... I'll go into it with the oh, conspiracy okay. you talk about it because they do a lot of um, searches Okay. For- so Tigar like was the one who funded the search or whatever, and it said that they had a summary of these weird, interesting sonar readings. But when I went on their website, it was shut down. Their website was shut down. Like, like that link to oh. like look at what these interesting sonar readings said. That's weird because yeah. their website, their website isn't totally shut down because oh, okay. I got some research from so their that, website. So that whatever that link was was shut down, and I couldn't find what was weird. interesting about the sonar readings. Yeah. Okay, and that was in 1999. So in 2002. A deep ocean recovery firm, Nauticos, scanned 
630 square miles near the area where she was thought to have disappeared and they scanned them with sonar rays as well but the search was cut short due to a malfunctioning cable winch so mm. was not very helpful sad and then again nauticos um in 2006 teamed up with um the wyatt institute and they mapped 2200 square miles of the ocean floor via sonar so the group found no wreckage in in all that space mm-hmm. and they had enough confidence to say that there was no wreckage that exists where they searched but it was successful in a way because the team was able to eliminate thousands of miles for future efforts that they good. don't have to search. Yeah. And the official position of the U.S. government is that Amelia Earhart and Noonan ran out of fuel and they just crashed into the Pacific Ocean. That's the official. But there are some weird things that makes you wonder about, you know, what was maybe going on. So... For estimating wind drift over the sea, Noonan, who was the navigator, so he was kind of in charge, I guess, of all of the navigating and weather things, Mm -hmm. he obtained two dozen aluminum powder bombs, but for some reason, they were left behind. They never took them with them. What would they have been for? To estimate wind drift. Oh. So, like, they would have known, oh, the wind is bad, we need to stop or fly a different direction or Hmm. whatever. That is strange. So, also, when they... um, when they got lost, the Coast Guard should have been able to find their directional bearings of the plane. if um, And they could, like, tune into, I guess, the frequency of the plane to be able to find it. The plane's transmitter would have sent, it would have sent signals to them. But Earhart did not take a trailing antenna with her. Therefore, they could not track them via uh, frequency. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It makes me think of... Um, so people who hike Mount Everest, they, like, you ha- you need, like, an oxygen tank to hike it because it's so high, right? But yeah. some people try to hike and get to the summit without an oxygen tank, which is just, like, stupid, stupid <laughs> and dangerous, and most of them die. Yeah. So I wonder if this was kind of the thing where she was like, I don't want to have, like, any backups. I just want to do it myself. Oh, Amelia, why would you? I don't, I'm, that, I mean, this is just me speculating. Yeah. But I don't understand why she wouldn't bring something that would help them be able to be found if something happened yeah that's a little sus yeah and then also this also makes me think that this theory could be correct because the coast guard would have had a better idea of where to find the plane if they had radioed their positions at regular intervals which i think you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. but they had not radioed their interval at all once they left papua new guinea and several and they had only radioed their position about seven times throughout that entire trip and it, uh, they had been flying for about a month at that point, and they had only radioed their position seven times. Strange. Yeah. And also there are, like, reports from people all over the world saying that they uh, got radio transmissions from Amelia Earhart's plane around the time that it they ran out of fuel. How do you... How do other people get radio transmission? Like, it got lost in the thing, and they accidentally got... Like, she was just transmitting all over the place. Like, through radio stations and stuff? Yeah. And they were, like, listening to the radio and got someone coming in saying, like, we're low on fuel, here's our coordinates. But there's no way to really verify that that was true. Well, if it was on the radio, it would be, like... But just certain people got it. Uh, it wasn't just, like, a station. It was, like... Oh, just certain radio frequencies. So it was just word of mouth that people said that... Oh, I don't know if that's true. Right, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. And it was all over the place, and people reported different things, so it didn't... They kind of were, like, conflicting. Yeah. But anyway, there's three 
main conspiracies about what happened to Amelia Earhart and Frank Noonan. So the first theory, and this is the one that I personally think is the most likely, um, well... Besides the fact that Besides just just crashing into the ocean and not having found any evidence, is the castaway theory. So according to an organization called the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, which Kelly mentioned er earlier is TIGR for short, um... There is a theory, according to them, that Earhart and Noonan made an emergency landing on a tiny uninhabited island and eventually died there because they ran out of resources. So Wait, why would they make an emergency? Oh, so like they couldn't fly fly the plane anymore. Right, so the whole reason they went down is because they ran out of fuel, right? Oh, okay, okay. So, you know, they had to make a split decision and they landed on a tiny island. If I'm making a transatlantic flight, I'm going to make sure I have enough fuel. I just truly (laughs) don't understand how they ran out of fuel. And also they had stopped previously like it's not like they had been flying for month for like days and days they had just stopped yeah we should look up like speculations (laughs) of why they ran out of fuel because that seems like such a rookie mistake to make yeah we interrupt this podcast for a word from our sponsors except we don't actually have any so here's a fake ad that i wrote for kelly that she's gonna read now you know when you're scrolling through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and your dog is like, hey man, I know I don't have opposable thumbs, but like, I would want to take part in social media. Well, now he can. Introducing, <laughs> introducing, <laughs> introducing Wolfstagram, a social media program solely for dogs. With touchscreen that responds to only a wet doggy nose instead of human fingers, now your furry friend can compare his tail to puppy influencers. <laughs> he can even rate each photo from a woof to lick to a butt sniff. Download Wolfscram, Wolfscram today. Wolfstagram. Wolf, you don't put an A. Okay, well, it's the same as the first one, Wolfstagram. Wolfstagram today. No one's going to want to download it now. <laughs> Let's just talk about real quick um, why, as seasoned pilot and navigator, Amelia Earhart and Frank Noonan would have made the rookie mistake of running out of fuel. Okay, so it says that... Um, According to AP News. Yes, I was going to say that. Sorry. Take it away, Kelly. Okay, so they had 950 gallons, allegedly, when they had taken off, which would have been enough to make it to the Howland Island where they were going. But there was a lot of headwind on the flight, and her safety margin evaporated. So I'm wondering if the wind, you have to take more fuel because you have to fly, like, harder against the wind. That, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Like, they weren't going as fast as... They, they should wanted, have been. Right. Yeah, so I think... It took more fuel than they expected. Yeah, so that is a possible reason that they ran out of gas. Okay, good to know. And I know that they were going to Howland Island to refuel. Right, yeah. So that could be a reason. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Mm-hmm. So in 1989, Tigar, 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 launched... I like Tigger. Okay, launched its first expedition to Nikamororo, which is a remote Pacific... Um, island that is part of the Republic of Kiribati. So in her last radio transmission made at 8.43 a.m. local time on the morning she disappeared, Earhart reported flying on the line 157-337 running north and south, a set of directional coordinates that describe a line running through the Howland Island. The theory, according to Tigar, is that when Earhart and Noonan couldn't find Howland Island, they continued south along the 157-337 line some 350 nautical miles and made an emergency landing on Nikumaroro, then, which was then called the Gardner Island. Wait, what was it uh, called? Nikumaroro. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry to the people of Nicomaroa. Just kidding. There are no people because it was uninhabited. Mm. Except Amelia Earhart's skeleton is there. Well, Kelly, can you just let me? <laughs> can you just let me let me live? According to Tigar, I quote, The post-loss radio signals are a crucial but often neglected piece of the Earhart puzzle. Government, commercial, and private radio operator- operators around the Pacific and in the U.S. reported hearing the distress calls. Some were transparent hoaxes, but several were judged to be genuine. Lockheed engineers insisted that the plane could not transmit if afloat on the ocean. Of six bearings taken by Pan American Airways radio direction finding stations in Oahu Midway and Wake Island, the four strongest cross near Gardner Island. A seventh bearing taken by the Coast Guard also passes near Gardner. So lots of evidence that they had transmitted radio signals from that area. Mm -hmm. By 1938, the island was colonized. So remember, it was uninhabited up until this point. But by 1938, the island was colonized as part of as part of the Phoenix Island Settlement Scheme, one of the British Empire's last expansions. Colonists reported finding airplane parts, some of which could have plausibly come from the Electra. In 1940, Gerald Gallagher, the colonial administrator, discovered 13 bones buried near the remains of a campfire, and he also found the remnants of two shoes, a man's and a woman's, as well as a box that once held a sextant, which was a navigational device. So in 1940, the um, British officials retrieved those partial human skeletons from the remote part of the island. Um, A physician subsequently measured the bones and concluded that they came from a man. The bones themselves were later lost, but Tighar analyzed their measurements in 1998 and claimed that, in fact, they most likely belonged to a woman of European ancestry of around Earhart's height, which was like five foot seven or five foot eight. And in 2018, a forensic analysis of the bone measurement conducted by anthropologists from the University of Tennessee, in cooperation with Tighar, showed that the bones have more similarly the bones have more similarity to Earhart than to 99% of individuals in a large reference sample according to a statement at that time. So, even if they did belong to a man, they could have been Noonans. I don't know why... I don't know. They, I feel like they just... The bones could have been Amelia Earhart's or Frank Noonans. Yeah. Um, also, what about the remnants of the plane? What happened to the plane? Because if they crash-landed on the island, the plane would have been on the island, which is my thought. But they also could have crash-landed near the plane and escaped before it sunk. So... In 2010, Tigar did an expedition um, and they, where they mapped and searched selected areas of the reef down to a depth of 300 meters, which is 1,100 feet, using sonar and an ROV with HD video. No wreckage was found, but the reef slope was discovered to be extremely steep until the slope began, be, only began to level out at around 300 meters, which was the bottom limit of the ROV's capability. Um, and then in the summer of 2012, they discovered a debris field at a deeper level using better equipment. And since 1989, Tikar has made at least a dozen expeditions to Nikamaroro, <laughs> sorry, turning up artifacts ranging from pieces of metal, which could be airplane parts, to a broken jar of freckle cream. And I, apparently, Amelia Earhart was reportedly said to have had freckles and hated them. So the freckle cream would have, like than to get rid of or fade her freckles. Interesting. But it's still not a conclusive proof that her plane landed there. But there is a lot of, I don't know, yeah. there's a lot of evidence in my opinion. Yeah. Second, <clears throat> so sorry, <laughs> my, my apologies. <laughs> You're testing. <laughs> okay. The second theory is the Japanese capture theory. So this theory argues that when they failed to reach Howland Island, Earhart and Noonan were forced to land in the Japanese-held Marshall Islands. According to this theory, the Japanese captured Earhart and Noonan and took them to the 
to the island of Saipan, Saipan? some 1,450 miles south of Tokyo, where they tortured them as presumed spies for the U.S. government, and then they possibly later died in custody or by execution. Mm -hmm. Since the 1960s, also, Marshall Islanders have claimed that there was an American lady pilot held in custody in Saipan in 1937, which they passed down to their descendants, and which the descendants are still talking about today. So, like... The descendants have ancestors who said that there was a lady pilot. Correct. Interesting. According to them, you know, Earhart and Noonan met grisly ends. Noonan, some claimed, was executed, while Earhart was left to rot in prison, eventually dying of dysentery. No. Yeah. Sad. Towards the end of the Second World War, it is claimed their bodies, which had been buried in a Catholic cemetery, were dug up in the on the orders of U.S. intelligence services. Some of the theories advocates suggest that Earhart and Noonan were, in fact, U.S. spies, and their around-the-world mission was a cover-up for efforts to fly over and observe Japanese fortifications in the Pacific. Mm-mm. At the time, more than in, more than four years before Pearl Harbor attack, Japan was not yet the Americans' enemy in World War II, so yeah. that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, agreed. And some claim that the U.S. government knew what had happened to the adventurous duo all along, but the, strange pol- the strained politics of the years running up to the war prevented them from acting. Which, maybe, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't, America was very, like, not wanting to get involved in the world politics at right before World War II, so I feel like they wouldn't send them out, you know, because they didn't want to be involved. I mean, yeah, that makes sense, but I mean, the theory that the government knew all along what was happening doesn't necessarily mean that they were spies or anything, That's it just true. means that, like, they didn't want to get involved because of the tensions, Yeah, which kind of makes sense from what you were saying. Yeah, that's true. Third theory. <laughs> Earhart was alive the whole time and was actually a woman named Irene Cragmile Bolum. So, some have suggested that Earhart didn't die in Saipan after her capture, but was released and repatriated into the United States under an assumed name. Okay, so this theory says that they did crash in Japan, they got captured, and then they got let go. Mm-hmm. And then she... Okay. And became, had a new identity. Okay. I mean, this also could make sense if, like, they were secretly rescued from an island or something, too. But it's more likely that... But, okay, keep going, and then I'll ask my question. Okay. <laughs> In 1965, Joseph Gervais was invited to speak at a gathering of retired pilots where he was introduced to Mrs. Bolum by one of Amelia Earhart's friends, Viola Gentry. Gervais felt he instantly recognized her as an older version of Amelia Earhart and commenced to research her past. And then using Gervais's research, author Joe Klaus documented his assertion in his book, Amelia Earhart Lives, published in 1970. Oh, goodness. Bolum herself vigorously denied these claims, calling them a poorly documented hoax, and she even took legal action against the publisher, filing a $1.5 million lawsuit, resulting in the book being withdrawn. But the theory persists even long after her death, which was in 1982. I want to read this book. Me too, but you can't. It was withdrawn. Um, Bolum's personal life history has since been thoroughly documented, eliminating any possibility that she was actually Earhart. Um, She was briefly a pilot who claimed to have known Amelia Earhart, um, but her main career from the mid-1940s revolved around banking and finances in New York. And some of their, some people actually were mutual friends of the two, like Air racer Eleanor Smith says she knew Earhart and Bolum. So that's hilarious. It's probably not Irene. <laughs> My thing is, why, let's say it is true, but like, why would Amelia want to come back as a different person? Right, she had a husband. And yeah. I mean, maybe that was a reason. Maybe, maybe she didn't like her husband. Maybe, too much. but like, she knew she had like the fame. 
I, maybe she didn't want the fame anymore. I don't maybe know. Maybe it was all a hoax, and she really just didn't want to be famous anymore. She didn't want to be married to her husband anymore, but she still wanted to be a pilot, so this woman was also a pilot. But she wanted to do some personal finance and banking work and came know. back as Irene? I don't know. Doesn't oh, no. make sense. Amelia, we're on to you. There's also a fourth theory that I forgot about, um, just that this Project Blue Angel group has been um, also investigating wreckage off the coast of Buka Island, which is east of Papua New Guinea, for more than 14 years. And they say that the wreckage um, could be from Earhart's Lockheed Electra Tenney. Um, Project Blue Angels director William Snavely said in a statement, the Buka Island wreck site was directly on Amelia and Fred's flight path, and it is even... It is, and it is an area never searched following their disappearance. So researchers theorized that realizing they were low on fuel, about 12 hours into their flight, Amelia decided to turn back on her journey to Howland Island. And the story of a local Pacific Islander who witnessed an airplane crash at the site um, in 1937 or close to that year was recorded and passed on in oral history by the natives of the island. So another island crash theory based on just research of and yeah. wreckage found there. I don't know what I think. That's not helpful at all. I know. I mean, I feel like that if they knew that they were running out of fuel, that they wouldn't have just, like... Turned around. Yeah, but I also don't think they would have just been like, oops, we're going to go in the ocean. Like, I feel like they would have tried to, like... Well, they could have tried to do something and not made it. That's also true, yeah. I think the Castaway Island theory or just crashing into the ocean are the two most likely. Yeah, I wonder if they survived the crash in the ocean and then it just got like eaten by sharks or something or just didn't even make it out of the plane and drowned that's true yeah it's just so sad you know she yeah it's just really sad yeah and she's so like such a common household name today yeah and she was just such a like a woman of her time like she or before her time yeah she really was yeah she oh i forgot to i think i skipped this part Oh, yeah, I did. She um, reportedly kept a scrapbook of newspaper clippings about successful women in predominantly male-oriented fields. Isn't that cool? Oh, I love that. Yeah, she was kind of a badass. Yeah, she Not was. kind of. She was. She was, yeah. I don't know. So what do you think? Do you think she did, they just crashed, or do you think that they were, she was a castaway? <laughs> like, if you were putting money on it. I like the castaway theory, I think, I, but only because I think it's more interesting than they just drowned in the ocean. Yeah. But I think the freckle cream and, like, the cup, the bones, I don't know, it's very... The freckle cream is the most interesting part to isn't me. Isn't it? Isn't yeah. it so fascinating? Because if it's an uninhabited island, well, why is it In the bones. Cream? If it's an uninhabited island, where do the bones come from? And then there were, like, pieces of, you know, a campsite and the navigational device and a man in well, a woman's shoe. I mean, but that could also be a different... A different man, man and a woman too. Yeah, but how likely is it that someone else like yeah, was castaways very, on that island? Yeah, not very likely. I like it. I just feel like things are not ever as interesting as they want them to be, and they probably just crashed in the ocean. But they searched so much, and they didn't find any wreckage. Well, they may. That's true. But maybe they aren't looking in the right place. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I hate this because it's not like, it's not conclusive. I want to know. That's our whole podcast. I know, but this one is more frustrating than others. Yeah. Because it, it's sad. 
everyone it, loved her. And, and I feel like we should know. Like, I, you know what I right, mean? Right, modern technology, it's like, oh yeah, maybe in the 30s we, d- we wouldn't know, but now... I feel like by now we should know. Yeah, But also, who's gonna fund, like... I don't think the government's gonna fund more, like, no, I don't think money so. into figuring out what happened. That's probably true. Screw you, government! <laughs> Just kidding. Please don't cancel our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI agent who's watching through our phone is getting real mad at He's us. He's super pissed. Okay, well, anyway, that was super inconclusive, but very sorry. interesting. Yeah, I didn't know a lot. I just basically knew that she got lost at sea. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that she had a companion with her. That makes me a little happier that she didn't die, like, alone. Yeah, I'm so happy someone else also died, too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I get what you're saying. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were alone, like, if you were cast away alone on an island and you were like, you know, I'm by myself. Yeah. I'm never going to see another person. Yeah, that's really depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if her and Noonan had a little, like, love thing going on. Ooh. Okay, here's a theory. Oh! She was, she wanted to divorce her husband, but rather than divorce him, she just ran away with Frank Noonan, and they lived out their days secretly either on this island or somewhere else. Yeah, I like that theory. Okay, that's nice. Cool. And that's the truth. They live to be 180 years old, and they're still alive today. <laughs> it's actually Irene. <laughs> it sure, name is Irene. No, that's their daughter, Irene. That's why they look, she looks so familiar. They're like the same age, though. Irene is Benjamin Button. Okay. <laughs> but Irene was married to another man, so maybe that man was secretly Frank Noonan. Maybe. Ooh. That would have been something to look into. There is, like, a whole internet, a whole internet, a whole website I found. The whole internet the is whole about internet it? The whole internet is about it. No, there's a really, really in-depth website that's like, don't believe what the newspapers tell you. Irene is actually <laughs> really Earhart, and they're really into it. I don't believe that. That's, like, the theory that Princess Diana, like, is living in the U.S. still or something. Oh, she is. Oh, okay. I know her. We're best, we're best, <laughs> we're best friends. best friends. Okay. Yeah. We gotta do her one day. For sure. Let's do her. Okay. I have to go now. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, okay, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please uh, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, give us five-star reviews. Email us your theories about Amelia Earhart. It's all in cahoots with Kelly and Savannah. Yep. Okay. And... Trust Trust no one. one. Goodbye. Bye.